Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Well, 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 we're back here at the Church of St. Charles Borromeo in St. Charles, Minnesota. It's Real Presence Live on a cold, cold mid-December morning. Let's warm your hearts with that cold weather. And (laughs) certainly uh, God is going to wake us up today, right, Matt? Yes, indeed. Uh, I stepped out this morning. I thought, wow, this this is the coldest that it's been yet this Year, well, not this year, but this season, as we make our way into winter here eventually. I think within the next few days, it, winter will officially begin. But uh, I think we're still technically in fall. But it's a beautiful day nonetheless. It's, it's uh, sun shining here in southeastern Minnesota and a lot to be thankful for. Amen to that. And in just a few short days, as you said, the beginning of winter, it's also the beginning of the days getting longer once again. So God is good for that as well. That's right. I love how... Uh, the, the church kind of plays off of that, uh, at least in the northern hemisphere. We're talking about when the, uh, the days begin to get longer is right after or around the time when Jesus is born. And so he is the light of the world. And so gradually we get more and more light. And then I think around mid to late June, things start to go the opposite way. And around, about when the John the Baptist feast day is, where he says, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. And so there you get a decrease in the natural light so that hopefully, you know, liturgically, this is what the church is trying to teach us, that, that Jesus, who is the true light of the world, the true sun that always rises in our hearts, that's, that's meant to rise in our hearts, will, will become more and more present in our lives. So a little liturgical lesson there to start you off on a Monday morning. And certainly before we get too far down the line, we want to begin as we always do with prayer, remembering that wherever you find yourself as our listeners, we are in the holy presence of God. So we'll take a few moments and begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Heavenly Father, as we gather during the midst of this Advent season, a time of waiting and patience, a time of seeking your light in the darkness, we ask that you send forth your Holy Spirit upon us to inflame our hearts With the fire of your love, may no evil be present, but only God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as we continue to live the mission that you have given us, go make disciples. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father Tim Buren. I'm Matt Wilkham. We are at the Church of St. Charles Borromeo in St. Charles, Minnesota. This is Real Presence Live. And on the phone line, we have Dr. Jason Heron, who is Assistant Professor of Theology at Mount Marty University. We're going to be talking about suffering, Father Biron, and just the, the question that so many people have uh, so often, why do we suffer? Why, why would a good God allow something bad to happen to, to a good person? And that's what we're going to dive into this morning with Dr. Heron. Good morning. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Good morning. Thanks for having me. 
And uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself first off? Uh, yeah, I've uh, recently landed in Yankton here at Mount Marty University. Um, I've been married to my lovely wife, Hannah, for uh, going on 19 years. And uh, we have six kids. And um, we're loving life. Excellent. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot on your plate right now. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, well, I got six kids. I, don't, I, I, I can barely think or talk about anything else. Yeah. So, so quickly here, put a little <laughs> plug in, uh, Dr. Heron. Where is Mount Marty? Mount Marty University is in Yankton, South Dakota. Uh, and Yankton is in the southeastern corner of uh, South Dakota, right across the Missouri from Nebraska. So you know, I... Way, way south and uh, pretty far east. When I was growing up, uh, graduated high school back in 89, so during the 80s, Mount Marty University would come out to actually public schools, and they would have their quiz show. So I think it was a phenomenal way to attract attention to the university um, and also create some competition. But anyway, enough of that. Let's uh, get back to you. Uh, we're going to tackle the question, is God capable of all things, and why do we suffer? So can you just unpack that a little bit for us this morning? Yeah, this is a, well, I think, I think a really important first step in discussing this topic, which is a very old topic, uh, is to realize that this is not a specifically Christian topic. This is a question that uh, humans have uh, long prior to Christianity, long prior to or it, uh, other places around the world, aside from, you know, the Judeo-Christian world. Um, this is a perennial, ancient question. And uh, we even know that in our own tradition, because uh, the book of Job in the, in the Bible is obsessed with this question. And we, we think that Job is one of the oldest writings collected in Scripture. Um, and so, yeah, there's just this deep, perennial concern that belief in a good God who's all-powerful is perhaps incompatible with the presence of suffering in our world. And so um, there are a lot of people who have this question. It arises in every generation and usually in every person's life. How could, how could bad, uh, bad things happen to me or to the people I love if, if God is supposedly so good and capable of all things? So the, the um, hope or the assumption would be that, well, if, if God is good, then there should be no evil in God's creation. And since there is evil, maybe um, God should overcome that evil by his, his might, by his power. And so we obviously see evil everywhere. We see suffering everywhere. And so we're left with, some uncomfortable questions about whether God's creation is actually good or whether God is actually capable of eliminating suffering. So those are kind of the contours of the question um, as it stood for, I would say, just millennia. Um, it's not a question that can easily be put to bed, and so every generation has to ask it again and again and again. Yeah, it's absolutely out there uh, everywhere. I, I know my family and I, we've been... Uh, watching the God's Not Dead movies lately. And if you're familiar with those, the, first, the very first one is actually about uh, a college student who's 
philosophy professor. I think it's appropriate that we're speaking with a, a professor of theology here this morning, and Dr. Jason Heron. Uh, but um, but the, the God's Not Dead movie, the first one, yeah, the professor believes that believes God to be to be dead, and he gives yes. he offers the example of why would a good God allow a 12-year-old to watch his mother die of cancer? You know, a very mm-hmm. concrete mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. What would you say, yeah. Doctor? Dr. Jason Heron to, to someone who would pose such a question to you? Um, I'd first say, um, you know, I'm so sorry, and I join you in your sorrow over, you know, whatever it is that has thrust this question right into your face in your life. Because um, I just think, um, from a Christian perspective, there's, there's, no, there's no way to be flippant or dismissive about about the gravity of this question. I mean, people who encounter great suffering really have serious um, trouble to encounter, uh, question uh, on their heart. I would, when we, when we ask why, and that's the, that's the fundamental question, why, why is this bad thing happening? So let me stick with the example. I've never seen that movie, but the example of a child watching his own mother die of cancer why is this allowed to happen? Um, one, one way of approaching the answer, it's not a very comforting answer, but it is to start, uh, is that we live, we live in a world that's radically free. Um, in, in moral terms, you know, the human animal is free. We are the moral animal, and we are, we are free to make our own decisions. And then this, this world, even in a biological sense, in an evolutionary sense, is free. And so the, the arrival of something like cancer in a body is, is uh, a species of, of the freedom of our world. Now, from a theological perspective, and that's kind of a philosophical answer, from a theological perspective, we would have to say that uh, death, disease, decay... Um, are not the end of the story. They're not the, the truth of, of our universe. Um, so the death of a, of a young mother from cancer um, is just purely tragic. There is no uh, way of rationalizing it or making it make sense to the 12-year-old. And so when I talk with my students to, uh, uh, about, this, about this question, one of the things I want to avoid is suggesting that there, we could ever arrive at a way that this would make sense. Why would we want to live in a universe where the death of a young mother in front of her 12-year-old boy makes sense the way that love makes sense or the way that justice makes sense? Hmm. Um, we have this question about suffering and about evil, or in this case, about the death of a young mother. And if we were to live in a universe where we could say, oh, that's why that happened, I see now, then that would mean that it was a normal feature, uh, part of a design, as though God desired the death of this woman and as though God desired this young boy to go through this suffering. And I don't think we need to say that. I think we can allow suffering and evil to remain obscure and irrational 
we can allow them to remain uh, puzzles because they aren't a part of the good God's plan. They are perversions of the good God's plan. And so um, when we ask, why is this young boy, this 12-year-old boy, has to watch his mother die? In a way, we can say, well, I don't, I don't know why. And if I were to arrive at a place where I finally knew why, that might mean that it was a part of some grand design, that God desired this evil. And that's something that I think is, is really um, heinous. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm just kind of rambling on about this, this poor young boy. Well, we, uh, really sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. Yeah, sorry to Sorry to interrupt you there, but uh, one, you know you are really truly uh, digging a little bit deeper here, and I think that's important because our listeners may find this topic to be uncomfortable. As an example, as a pastor, I would say one of my pet peeves, and there's probably a little bit of a list. I'll take that to the sacrament, but um, one of my pet peeves um, is when, sadly, people don't know how to respond when a tragedy happens, and they're at the visitation or the wake, and they're trying to comfort the people, uh, the family members of the loved ones. So we'll use this example of this mother in the story that you're sharing, um, and then people will say, well, God wanted her more. Well, we don't know that. Uh-huh. We don't know the answer, uh-huh. you know, and, and sadly, a lot of times people try to make up what they think, and they fill in the blanks for God, and that is a danger. What do you think? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Th- this is exactly the, the moment I, I share with my students, because a lot of us have been in, in the same position that you just described, where someone is trying to make sense of something that's fundamentally uh, nonsense. And we try to speak for God. God I, what was the phrase you used? God wanted her more. Or it was just right. her time, or the, the, one of the worst is God need, needed another angel. I mean, just such a confusion about what the human person is and what angels are. And I get that the person is well-meaning, of course, right? Trying to trying to uh, situate this horrific event in a context that could possibly make it easier to deal with. And I, I don't think that this is... Uh, a reasonable response, even if it is understandable. And I'm with you. It's a, it's a deep pet peeve. It's understandable. It's unfortunate, though, because it does try to cram um, what Christians would call evil. Right? The death of a young, of a young mother uh, is, is unnatural. It's evil. It's a consequence of sin in the world. Um, you know, we could, we could speak about that for a long time, but we're trying to cram that thing God's plan. And so somehow God said, well, I'm going to need to end this person's life uh, and cause unimaginable suffering for her young 12-year-old boy because, and then insert whatever reason. I mean, as you say, we could never know that, first off. And then it might also just be possible to say, well, maybe, no, maybe this is irrational. Maybe this is nonsense. This is not the story of the universe. This is not like watching mammals reproduce and watching the human digestive tract work and watching the, the stars uh, grow and die and watching the planets revolve around the sun and also sometimes young mothers die of cancer. We don't want to put that in the list of all the other natural phenomena that makes sense. And so, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, this is this is a, a pet peeve, to put it, to 
to put it mildly. Yeah, this is uh, it's, uh, really good stuff here. Dr. Jason Heron joining us here on Real Presence Live. We're going to uh, stop down for just a second, but on the other side, we're going to uh, keep addressing, uh, dig a little deeper into this question of why do we suffer and talk specifically about how Jesus has taught us to face suffering. You're listening to Real Presence Live. I'm Matt Wilkham, along with Father Tim Buren, and there's more next. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. It's a great time to spring into summer at Riverview Senior Living Community in Fargo. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director. We are currently accepting new independent and assisted living residents. Riverview provides a safe, comfortable place to live with a small town Main Street feel with home-cooked food, a la carte care services, daily activities, and mass five days a week. You can contact Marin or Katie to find out about all that Riverview has to offer at 701-237-4700 or at homeishere.org. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, the Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with an end-of-year gift planning tip. With the end of the year approaching, a charitable gift can help you support our mission and receive tax benefits. In addition to gifts of cash, here is a gift strategy worth considering. Gifts of appreciated assets such as securities or real estate are an excellent way for you to help our cause. Securities may be transferred directly to us, while real estate is transferred through a deed. These gifts will not affect your cash flow, and they provide the following tax benefits. A charitable deduction to help you save on taxes, a bypass of federal and state capital gains taxes, and an avoidance of tax on net investment income. To learn more about these strategies and the benefits of making an end-of-year gift, please call or visit our website today at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo, parishioner of Saints Anne and Joachim Church in Fargo. I'm excited to share with you the launch of Lumen Vision, providing eye care for the whole family, including eye emergencies, vision therapy, and routine exams. We offer a variety of frames with missions you can believe in, like Eyes of Faith, a frame company that prints scripture verses on the inside of each frame. You can learn more about our mission at lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of the Real Presence Radio Network. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. 19 minutes past the hour, Real Presence Live. I'm Matt Wilkham. My co-host is Father Tim Buren. We're here at Father Buren's Parish of St. Charles Borromeo in St. Charles, Minnesota. We're talking about the topic of suffering. And why would a good God allow suffering in a world that he created? We're speaking with Dr. Jason Heron from Mount Marty University, his assistant professor of theology there. And welcome back to the show, Dr. Heron. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you having... Glad to be here. Uh, we, we, we appreciate uh, having you, that is. And we were talking a little bit uh, before about how when people ask the question, why... Why suffering? Why would the good God allow this to happen? Uh, you were speaking about how you could actually uh, turn that kind of back on the question itself and say, well, if, 
if we can find a rational reason why evil and suffering happen, um, you know, I don't, don't, don't know if I'd want to live in a universe like that where it would be characterized as normal. Um, yeah, I think yeah. it's, like you said, it's, 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 we just have to allow it to, to be what it is, which is not normal, not something that God willed and uh, could help you know, explain that, to, that question to somebody and whether they're Christian or not. But we know as Christians that we do have an even deeper answer to this question, uh, at least as far as how to face suffering and how Jesus has taught us to do that. Can you expound upon that a little bit? Well, I think um, our Lord's suffering is the supreme example of the, the goodness of God. And what I mean by that is um, in the face of, of evil, in the face of tremendous suffering, um, and in a world where suffering stands out against the backdrop of all the goodness of life, you know the fact that it, the fact that it uh, that we recognize it as suffering um, means that it, it sticks out as abnormal. It's unnatural. The, the good is natural. The goodness of, of creation is is uh, the primary story. This creation, as as Genesis says, is very good in God's eyes, and so that's how we recognize suffering. We it sticks out against the backdrop of the goodness of the world. And even in that scenario, I guess we shouldn't even call it scenario. That's just that's life here. Um, even in this life, where where suffering is um, popping up, its ugly head is popping up everywhere, all the time. Even in that that life, good comes from it. So, our Lord has not left us in a world that is just pure confusion, pure suffering, or intermittent suffering and pure confusion about the suffering, we see that uh, preeminently in in our Lord's passion and death, uh, but also in the suffering of of any human anywhere, uh, that good can still come from uh, the evil. Good can still be drawn out of what looks like a total disaster. And I, I say that the Lord's suffering is the preeminent example of this because, uh, from a Christian perspective, the, crucifix, the passion and crucifixion of, of, of Jesus is, is not the end of the story, but his resurrection is. And so his resurrection and ascension, uh, even at the, the lowest, most destructive, most evil point uh, in history, when humans kill their own creator, uh, good comes from it. And so, um, you know, we 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 started this conversation about suffering in kind of a philosophical register, um, but this is the the Christian insight: is that Christ's resurrection uh, is like a, a shining, luminous. Uh, brilliant uh, example of I shouldn't say example, sorry, that's the wrong way, wrong way to say it. 
it's a luminous moment when we see the real story of the universe. That this is this is a good universe that is created by and for love, and that love swallows up all suffering. The fact that that can come from our our most evil moment in history um, that says something about the character of our Lord, and it says something about um, how Christians can possibly stand up uh, within suffering and stand up to suffering. Uh, we know that suffering is not the end of the story. It's not even the story itself. The story is love. And so our Lord's passion and death, I think, um, uh, well, they accomplish so many things for us. But in you particular, are... with, re- with regard to our, uh, our own personal suffering, what it accomplishes is it gives us this uh, insight into what's actually happening, what the universe right. is actually about. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, every time we walk into a church, we um, don't seasonally just remember suffering during the season of Lent and during the Triduum. We don't take down our stations of the cross. We don't take down our crucifix and put them back up during the season of Lent. You know, there's always that visible reminder for us every time we go into a Catholic church, you know, that that suffering is all around us. So when we find ourselves feeling dejected or alone or or suffering even in our own hearts at home, we can find that solace every time we come into the church, you know, uh, the presence of the Lord, of course, in the Blessed Sacrament and even... Every time we celebrate the sacrifice of the Mass. So the Catholic Church, of course, is really rich in the understanding that we are united in the Lord's suffering. And we just have to simply um, gaze upon the crucifix and see that, um, you know, that suffering that that Jesus uh, did was for us. So uh, we can unite our suffering, um, you know, as as many of our older listeners will recall that thankfully it is becoming a more common term again, offer it up, you know. Um, we, we offer up these sufferings on behalf of, of grandchildren, on behalf of a spouse, on behalf of somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love what you're saying about just the presence of suffering, just vis- visually in a church. And, and it made me think of what Jesus does with the psalm on the cross. I mean, he famously says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's, he's citing Psalm 22. That's the first line of, of Psalm 22 which is a song of intense, profound suffering, but the end of the psalm is redemption. It's like the suffering servant songs in Isaiah. That everything looks like it's falling apart. Everything looks like it's, uh, it's at an end. Evil has won. Suffering, really, suffering and violence really are the true story of the universe. And then uh, God reveals that that's not the case, but love wins. And... It's just so striking that you walk into a Catholic church and there's just all this gruesome suffering being portrayed. And we, you're right, we don't we don't necessarily appreciate it. We've become kind of uh, accustomed to seeing the crucifix, uh, one of the worst torture devices ever devised by by humans, and we we use it to decorate. Um, and I'm not saying we shouldn't use it. I'm just saying that we have become accustomed to it in such a way that we we might not be. Uh, uh, <laughs> we might not be exploiting it as much as we could. Um, I mean, and if you're lucky to be in a church with, you know, beautiful stained glass, I mean, it gets even more kind of visually present. Uh, just 
an overwhelming presence in a Catholic Church of of uh, the suffering of our Lord, and and it's like it's like a um, a visual moment of, of similar to what what Jesus is doing on the cross when he cites the Psalms. He's doing it for his listeners, his audience, his ears. Uh, but we have this uh, being done for us all the time visually in our churches. Yeah, really beautiful, really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. We're so blessed to have those visuals within our Catholic churches, to have our faith, to reassure us. Uh, on a fundamental level, I think every human being, whether they realize it or not, uh, they, they, there's something within us that says death, evil, and sin cannot have the last say. That it, it, the, This doesn't end in, in destruction, in despair. And that there are things in this world, suffering, evil, that cannot be fully made right in this world. And that points mm-hmm. us to the fact that there's, there must be some place, some other place, where mm-hmm. those things can be set right. Uh, but how, yeah. however, what, what you said, Dr. Heron, about our Lord and the suffering that he underwent and the good that came out of it, and we can even in this life get a taste of of what our God is like, who He is, mm. and He is mm. how powerful He is. Uh, and yeah. um, so, thank you. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time, Dr. Jason Heron. But um, we appreciate you joining us on Real Presence Live, Dr. Jason Heron, Assistant Professor of Theology, Mount Marty University. Uh, you have a wonderful day, and God bless you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It was good to be with you. Thank you. Up next, what can we learn from the Psalms? We'll discuss this topic with another doctor, Dr. Peter Kreeft, next on Real Presence Live. Don't go anywhere. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 